0: You're listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Thank you worship team, that was excellent. Uh, All the kids, I see you're already going to your class. You know exactly what to do now. Uh, Brooke and Ian are back there with you. Great stuff. Um, well, hey, we're in part two of our new series, More Than Conquerors. This is a series through one of the most power-packed chapters in all the Bible, Romans chapter 8. So if you take your Bible, turn with me to Romans 8. Um, we have, I've been hearing from a lot of you, too, about how you're taking up this challenge, this reading challenge. And I've heard some great things from people who have been reading through Romans 8. Uh, some of you are gonna probably be ready to like preach the final sermon by the end of this chapter, the way the way you're going in depth on this in this book and in this chapter. But last week we opened with this truth, Romans 8:1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does no condemnation mean for you? Well, it means that you can say no to the fear of rejection. It means that you can say no to the feelings of guilt, and you can say no to the fatigue of defeat. Because Jesus is your justifier. Jesus is your liberator. And it doesn't just stop there with this transaction that you have received with Jesus Christ. There's an ongoing aspect of our new relationship with Him. We also see here that the Holy Spirit is your sustainer. We've already seen that in the first four verses of Romans 8. As we move into Romans 8, 5 through 11 this morning, I want to highlight one other thing in preparation for where we are going with this passage. There's a key word in verse 4 that actually changes to a different word in verse 5. And it's really easy to miss this. Another reason why you should just be reading through this chapter over and over again. But let's look, let's just take a step back where we left off last week with Romans 8, verse 4. Alright, do you see that up there? Yes. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Alright, we got that. Now let's look at the very next verse, see if there's a difference. Romans 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Do you see the difference between those two verses? See the one key word that changed? We went from your walk, and your walk is what you do with your lifestyle, it's the decisions you make, the places you go. We went from your walk in the Spirit to setting your mind on the Spirit. You See the difference there? We're not just going to stay focused on your lifestyle. We're going to quickly change into your thinking. We're moving into the mind, And notice Paul didn't spend as much time talking about walking in the Spirit as he does in other places. He's going to spend the majority of his time in this chapter on what you are thinking. Now, why would that be the case? Why would Paul focus on your mind and your thinking rather than your lifestyle? That question might stump a few of you in this room because a lot of people view church, they view religion as behavior modification. And, and a lot of people have this misconception about the Bible. Well, you go to church and they're just going to tell you what to do. Straighten up and do right and don't do this. And, and they, have, they have more of a mindset about what God is against than what God is even for. And they're missing the relational aspect. As we're going to see today, that is a complete and utter miss. God is always about the heart. He cares more about your motives and what you think than anything else. And as we go through this chapter, you're going to see that faith is more than religious duty. It is a relationship that is following the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But there is something else here. There's another degree to this. In your relationship with Jesus, this isn't just some one-sided beneficial relationship where you have one person who loves you and cares for you. And that is 100% true. That is so true. I love the fact that Jesus loves us, that he cares for us. He's always there for us. But it's not the entire truth of who Jesus is. Too many of us stop at Jesus being my comforter and my loving Savior. But Jesus is also your Christ. And he calls you to be a disciple. So if you're a Christian, it shouldn't just be this cushy, he's always there for me relationship. Are you following this? That is part of it, but there's more. We should be growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ who is on mission for his glory. So Jesus isn't your boyfriend. He's he's your God, right? We can't lose that. And this is found in the fullness of being in Christ and setting your mind on the Spirit. The decisions you make shape the way The decisions you make are shaped by the way you think. And the way you think is determined on where you are setting your mind. If you're not applying the truth of this passage, you're going to be thinking uh, like somebody who's not a disciple of Jesus Christ. And in this passage, there are two ways to think. And I know that may sound ridiculous. This is the last thing I want to say before we really jump into the verses. You may think, wait, two ways to think. David, there's a thousand different ways to think. Well, yes, there are, that's true, but we're not talking about who you voted for and why you, why you chose that. We're not talking about how you choose to spend your precious free time. We're not talking about what you're going to have for lunch today and how you decide that fits in your personal lifestyle goals. There's all these different ways to think, right? But to God, when you get to the absolute core, ground zero, people are divided up into one of two ways. There's one or two ways of thinking. People are not divided up into different identities of intersectionality. There's only two ways. And I think it's important to to notice right here that our world, the world that we live in, which we are going to be describing in detail coming up, they have ulterior motives that divide us. They divide us by culture, by education, by race, by sexual preference, in a thousand other different ways. And that's not, un- that's not healthy. It's actually super unhealthy. It's really a modern form of tribalism that is not only un-American, but even more importantly, it's unbiblical. But think about for a second how God looks at everyone as either in the flesh or in the spirit. Our world wants to reclassify everyone, depending on you know, a thousand different things, their view of the extent of government, uh, whether, whatever your ancestors did. Um, and, and they divide us to the point where they say, well, if you don't believe in abortion, you're against my, my freedoms. That's not a very unifying statement, right? Your acceptance in the beloved is solely based on your standing in Jesus Christ. So we can't let the world's mentality shape our thinking. We always have to ask ourselves, what does God's word say about this? Because God's word is the objective truth standard that that should shape our thinking and our emotions and our feelings because those things can get off. But God's word is truth. And in this passage, we've only looked at the first verse so far, but you've already seen the two types of people that God sees. One more time. Those who live according to the flesh, and those who live according to the Spirit. Those are the only two. And the contrast could not be any more stark. If you're in Christ, you have unity with him and in him. If you're outside of Christ, you need to find him. So let's go to the text and see the rest of what Paul has to say about this. And I'm going to read verses 5 through 11 one more time here for us. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So there's only going to be two points today. Because Paul is contrasting these two different identities, which are shaping the way you think. And the first one is the fleshly mentality. So point one today is confess the fleshly mentality that leads to death. Those who are according to the flesh are headed towards eternal wrath, Those who are living according to the Spirit are headed to eternal glory. Again, you can't afford to miss this. These are the only two differences between humans that God recognizes. Now, whenever we come across this word flesh in the Bible, we need to slow down because, for one, we don't use this word flesh very often in our regular everyday speech, right? It's just not a super common word anymore. Maybe it used to be. Um, I think of it sometimes, you know, when you're as a Christian, maybe you're, you're talking with other Christians, you're in a life group or a Bible study, like, yeah, the word can come up, but uh, it's really like one of those retired words, like britches or yuppies, you know, not, not coming up very often. If I, if, I said, um, if I said those fleshly yuppies gallivanting around the country um, in their britches, that would be a pretty weird sentence you know, in, in 2020. Just not a normal sentence you're going to hear. So the word is confusing because it's out of use. And secondly, the word flesh means a few different things in the Bible. It's a very nuanced word. Sometimes it refers to your old sin nature, where sin still resides, in, even inside of a Christian. And we saw this last week with Romans chapter 7, where Paul was talking about the context of battling his flesh. Um, he, he wanted to stop doing what he kept on doing. And he, and he hated that he kept sinning in that way. He was battling his flesh. Other times, the flesh simply refers to our physical nature. We also see this in Scripture. You know, we, we know our flesh is our skin. One way we will use this word is a flesh wound. Or, uh, well, well, there he is in the flesh. I mean, it's, it's the humanness of you. You also see that in the Bible. But there's a third way this word is used, and this is the way the word is being used right here in Romans 8. And it's the descriptor of someone's mindset that is in opposition to God. A fleshly mindset is synonymous with a worldly mindset. It's thinking that is antithetical to Jesus Christ. Notice this phrase in verse 5. Set their minds. In the Greek, this is the word phroneo, And it doesn't so much mean mind as it means disposition. The the specific Greek word for mind is the word nos, and you see that most of the time in Scripture, like 1 Corinthians 2.16, have the mind of Christ. But this is the word for disposition. It's a term used to describe the seat of all the mental faculties, your affections, including your emotion, including your will. So the problem is the entire disposition of an unregenerate person is to a certain extent corrupted by the flesh. Those who are outside of Christ have an internal, controlling, fleshly power that defines how they think, which determines how they act. And that's what Paul is talking about here. It's the dominating influence. The thinking that of, of unconverted people is of the flesh, and it's in their prevailing sin nature. It's how they think, it's how they act, and it's why they will die if they don't get to know Jesus Christ. Now, before we go too deep into the weeds in the, in the psychological sense of this, there's another way to, th- to see the same concept. And anybody out here a Star Wars fan at all? Uh, I see a few hands, yes. I know I'm, I've already lost some of you just by saying the word Star Wars. You're like, no, don't, don't go there. I'm a novice when it comes to this. So, um, so so, some Star Wars people might, might have to explain it more thoroughly to you after the message. I'm sure if you talk to an actual fan, they will give you an earful. But hang with me here, because, I, because there's something that I've seen from Star Wars that really, really brings this you know, to light. Um, in the Star Wars universe, there's this character called the Mandalorian, Din Djarin. And anybody who watches that show will know the Mandalorian doesn't trust droids. The reason the Mandalorian doesn't trust droids, I mean the droid can be doing something that's, you know, maybe caretaking. There's there's a nurse droid or whatever. The Mandalorian doesn't, doesn't believe or trust that droid because he knows those droids have hardwiring at the core that actually is stronger and more powerful than their programming. And this guy in the Star Wars universe, you know, even if Quill can reprogram a battle droid to be a nurse droid, he will not trust that droid because he knows it's hardwired to be a killer. Those who are of the flesh are hardwired of the flesh, they're hardwired this way. And even if they can be reprogrammed, at the end of the day, it's still not going to 100% completely override their hardwiring that is in opposition to Jesus Christ. Now, why are we spending so much time on this? This truth clears up so much of what we see and what we hear and what we deal with on a day-to-day basis with people who, who for the lack of a better word, just grate on us. Or things you see out there in our culture that are like, ah, what, why is this happening? It all goes back to this. The way people act, why they do what they do, is not fully, and that's a key word, it's not fully a product of their education. It's not fully a product of bad parenting. Those those factors are contributors, without a doubt. They have massive influence, but at the heart of it, how the mind is hardwired to think goes way deeper than any external influence. And people just can't ultimately be changed by incentives or motives. You know, of course, a fair justice system will really help, and and crime being punished will quell a lot of mayhem at bay because when people can follow the rules and they benefit from that and they're rewarded, more people, more often than not, will follow that system. And that's what, by and large, we have had in our country for a very long time. But at the core, the hardwiring, this is who a lost person is. Outside of Christ, this is who they are. The bent of an unconverted person is toward the flesh. All they know is what they want. And it's in opposition to God. And Jesus said in John 8, 44, that if you're not a child of God, your father is Satan. And it's your will to do your father's desires. Satan was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because no truth is found in him. So Jesus didn't leave any room for middle ground just like we don't have any room for middle ground right here. The lost are inherently bent in the same direction. They have hate towards God. Their affections are from the flesh. Their confidence is in the flesh. They operate on the desires of the flesh. They trust their own flesh. They are humanistic and selfish. This is why John also says, They love the world, and the love of the Father is not in them. Could I be any more clear that that is a huge problem with everything we face? The people around us who don't know Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying this flippantly. I'm really not. This is an incredibly heavy thing to talk about because I fully realize I'm bringing up people in your mind who don't know Jesus Christ. And we're saying something that's very depressing about, about the core of who they are. Some of you are thinking, how can this be? I have a family member. I have a friend. And I'm thinking of their face right now. They love me. They're not against me. I'm not saying they don't love you. They are made in the image of God, and, and they have his nature imprinted in their DNA. So they're going to have aspects of his character, for sure, there coming out. But if they are apart from Christ, they aren't for Christ. And when push comes to shove, if you aren't for Christ, you're not going to be for other people who are for Jesus Christ. And this is a dark thing to think about. But these are not my words. These are the words of Scripture. Look again at verse 7. Verse 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Until an individual is found by Christ and their heart is made new, they are by default in their innermost heart in enmity with God. So, what does that mean for us? Well, it means that you shouldn't expect sinners not to sin. Don't expect evil people not to, do, not to plot evil things. Also, it should mean that we should have compassion. Look at them not as an enemy. They are enemies of God, yes, but, and they may deep down um, hate what you're about, but do what Jesus says to do with your enemies and love your enemies. Don't look at them as someone that you can convince and you can just straighten out by like rearranging their thinking. Look at the world the way God sees them, a lost soul in rebellion against their creator who needs to be saved from the depravity of their own sin. This should make every one of us who are in Christ realize a few things um, that changes our demeanor and our stance towards those who are outside the family of God. We have to to take this into consideration. At the end of the day, we can't be buddy-buddy super close to people who don't know Jesus Christ because at their core, they are living for themselves and they are living for something that is antithetical to Jesus Christ. I have to realize that Sharing Jesus Christ is my number one objective because only Jesus can change their heart. It should be a warning for every one of us who are in Christ that we can't just win someone over. Only Jesus can forgive sin and wipe away the condemnation and simultaneously give them a hope for the future. This is the most offensive piece of the Bible right here. And I have room, friends in the room right now And there's a chance that some of my friends in the room right now are not in Christ. If you've never repented, you can do great things. You can be a fun, nice person. But it's my duty and my calling to proclaim what God's word is teaching to you. And that is you have to find Christ. Because if you're not in Christ, this description defines who you really are. So what are your motives? Because sometimes you can even do great things. A lot of of lost people who don't know Jesus are some of the nicest people I know. Sometimes they're nicer than Christians, right? They can do great things, um, but if it's not done for God's glory, you're actually robbing God of his own glory. And, and And Isaiah tells us in the Old Testament that even a righteous act like that is filthy rags before a holy God in his eyes. Do you see that in verse 8? Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So even if they do good things, they're doing it for the wrong motives and the wrong reasons. Just let that verse, Romans 8, 8, sit with you for a second. Now certainly sometimes those of us who were in the Spirit do things that are in the flesh. I don't want to scare the Christians in the room to thinking, oh no, I'm not in Christ because I did something in the flesh this morning. We probably all did something in the flesh this morning because we all battle the flesh. That still resides in us. But it's not the same thing as being according to the flesh. In verse 5, the very first line with that phrase, for those who live according to the flesh, if you back up for a second, um, That can actually bring some confusion for Christians, and let me tell you why. The word live, in verse 5, is not actually even in the original Greek. Depending on what translation you have on your lap, you may see it, you may not. Um, Most modern translators have put that in there because they're trying to get the idea across better. But what Paul is literally saying is, even though it's a little harder to understand, I I can explain it to you right now because we're in the middle of this passage, What he's literally saying is, for those who are of the flesh, set their minds on the flesh. So so Christians can hear a message like this and they feel guilty. Oh no, I'm living according to my flesh right now. I'm so horrible. I'm a failure. I can't even do anything right for God. I have to get my act in gear. Anyone ever felt that way? We all have, right? It's easy to slip into that. But how did this chapter start? Verse 1, remember, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Paul isn't trying to shame us and guilt those of us who are in Christ to get their act together. No, he's literally saying those who have the flesh are driven by a different dominating influence. They don't have the Holy Spirit and they can't please God. For those of us who are believers, We can do things at times that are displeasing to God, but he looks at Jesus Christ's righteousness instead of our failures. We're not guilty anymore. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed unto our account. And we can still mess up, for sure. But all of these verses are contrasting those who are in the flesh with those who are in the spirit. So just ask yourself, what's the dominating influence of my life? Do I have a desire to live for Jesus Christ? Or is, all, is it all about me? Is it what I can get out of it? Those questions should reveal a lot about where your heart is at. The beloved apostle, the apostle John, in his first letter, lays out the same truth over and over again. If you're a true believer, you confess your sins. If you're a true believer, you love. If you're a true believer, you obey. And we're told in Galatians 5 to walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So this is not a call for Christians to feel ashamed of themselves. It's a call for those who are without Christ to receive Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. And here's my plea. Going back to the ones in the room who cannot please God, no matter how many nice things you've done, anyone here today who is not in Christ, confess your sin, repent of living for your way and believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To receive Christ, you have to submit to your creator. You can't make yourself the God of your life anymore. This is what Romans 5.8 says. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God wants to save you from his wrath of your sin. Romans 5.10 says, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus died for your sin so you can receive forgiveness of your sin and enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The gift of salvation is freely offered to all, but you must accept it through repentance and faith. That is confessing the fleshly mentality that leads to death. Without Christ you aren't going to have the life that you were created for. This is the only way to truly find life, real life, the way it was meant to be, and that is by coming to Jesus Christ. Verse 6 says it all. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. The only way to find everlasting life is to look outside of yourself and your selfish desires and find life in Jesus. So if God is drawing you in today, there is no reason to delay. None at all. You can find him by putting your faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross as he died for your sins. Please don't stay in this category. Whatever you do, you cannot afford to stay in this category. God wants you in the second category of people. He wants you set free, and he wants to give you his spirit. So here it is, the second point. This is where you belong. Point number two, set your mind on the spirit and find life and peace. Let me read verses 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong in him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So the first point, uh, when we're talking about those who were according to the flesh and why they do what they do, um, was completely different than what we have here. I made a point earlier that education and parenting and background and culture, they aren't the primary initiators of your thinking. They mattered, right? But it goes deeper than that, all the way to your hardwiring, and you can't program something that's not hardwired. Well, here's where we see in the positive side of the same coin, that I have some really good news for all of you. Okay? What if you didn't have good parents? What if your programming was just horrible and, and, and your parents screwed you up? You didn't have good education. You went to a really, um, really poor school. And, you're, and you're, you're having, you've had very negative influences on you. All that can happen. You can get a twisted version of reality That would be like bad programming, but follow me here. Here's where hardwiring trumps the programming. If you're in Christ, all of this can flip. So no no matter how bad it was before, how, how many falsehoods you believed, and how many people literally messed up your thinking, if you're in Christ, now you're hardwired differently. When Jesus saves you, he doesn't just reprogram you. No, what does he do? He gives you a new heart. So we're not talking about reprogramming. We're talking about hardwiring. So for all of us who aren't like you know, a member of the geek squad and you don't work at Best Buy, let me give you a refresher on the tech definition here. To hardwire something is to make a function a permanent feature in a computer by means of permanently connecting circuits so that it cannot be altered by software. This is what happened, spiritually speaking, to every single one of us who are in Christ. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's verse 9. The Holy Spirit completely changes you. He changes your mind and your drive and your motives, and you have a completely new central processing unit. So this is how people from broken homes and abusive relationships and flat-out misery can completely transform into something new. They didn't just get reprogrammed into some new religion. The spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8.2. So it doesn't matter anymore where you came from. What matters is who you are in Jesus Christ. There are only two ways to live. You either live according to the flesh or you live according to the Spirit. And you remember verse 4, right? From earlier in this chapter. How we have moved from a condition of not having power to, to keep the old law which condemned us to now having the power through the Holy Spirit to fulfill the new law, the law of liberty, which is to love and not be condemned. That is all possible because the Holy Spirit indwells in us and our nature is changed. Look again how Paul explains this verse in verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your moral bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So here's the deal. I'm not, not going to tell you that you have to change all these things about you and, and, and put that on you as a, as a weight on your shoulders. What you need to do is to accept this reality that Jesus Christ, when you're in him, and if you set your mind on his spirit, he is the one who flips it all. This is one of those truths that if it stays in the head and never gets to your heart, you're going to have problems and you're going to be very frustrated. So here is the challenge for everyone who is in Christ. Set your mind on the Spirit. Being in Christ is more than just receiving the gift. It's now living a new life that is far superior to your mortal body through the power of His Spirit. Which leads us to one final question. How do I do this? (laughs) How do I get this? What does setting your mind in the Spirit actually look like? Well, we have talked about this, you know, on and off throughout the whole year of 2020. I mean, we started this, this year back in Ephesians, and we had a series on, on this. I, I preached a sermon called Under the Influence. Some of you may remember it. Uh, but being filled with the Spirit has the idea of being carried along. Like you throw a stick in a river, and, and, the, and the current just takes the stick along. Or like a sailboat, right, and the, and the wind is blowing the sails. That's the equivalent of being filled with the Spirit in the New Testament. But that passage in Ephesians has a parallel passage in Colossians. And in Colossians 3, you see both of these passages are talking about setting your mind on the Spirit, seeking the leading of the Holy Spirit. And the phrase that describes it, sometimes that we don't think about, is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That is synonymous with being filled with the Spirit. If you want a super practical description of what Paul is talking about right here, there's probably not a better passage than in Ephesians 4. So I want to read Ephesians 4, and I don't usually jump around like this, but literally Ephesians 4 is kind of like the cliff notes. Not the cliff notes. It's more like the footnotes, I would say. The footnotes of Romans 8:11, um, because it goes in way more in-depth. And you know, if you if you have to write a really good research paper, sometimes some of the best stuff is in the actual footnotes. So let me read to you Ephesians 4, and you can read along with me, verses 17 through 24. Thank goodness for the rest of Scripture, right? Because Scripture always interprets Scripture. So Paul mentions this really quickly, and he doesn't really elaborate too much on it. That's why we're going to Ephesians 4 for a second. But this should really help us expound and amplify what setting your mind on the Spirit looks like. Ephesians 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, Greed, practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So worship team, you can come up here for a minute. To close us out, Um, in our world today, in the culture we live in, we have to understand there are two mindsets at the core of every single human heart that are driving what they believe, they're driving what they say. In our world, you will call, you will hear people, you know, call things something that you totally don't see that same definition. You will hear people call for healing, but at the same time, they're not going to lift a finger to do what it takes to heal. They will expect you to pretend that the fight is over, and they'll not even say they're sorry for their part of the fight. And you say, well, how is that healing? It's hard to understand, right? It goes back to their thinking at the core. In our world, you will hear people call for unity, and, oh, that sounds great. But at the same time, they will call anyone who dissents with their position a hateful person who needs to be re-educated. Romans 8 is explained to us how all of that happens, how and why. They are thinking according to the flesh. They aren't in Christ. But for everyone in this room who has been found by Jesus Christ, I have great news for you. That's not you anymore. You are made new. In 2 Corinthians 13, Paul says to the church to examine yourself whether you be in the faith. So what are you looking for when you examine yourself? You're looking all the way down to the driving core heart motives. What is your disposition? How do you feel towards God? Are you constantly wrestling with Him? And you're constantly wanting to just put yourself on the throne? because you really think that you actually deserve there, to, to be there? You have to ask yourself, do I really love God's Word? Do I really crave it? Is this Romans 8 reading challenge, am I reading this and just trying to get through with it? And just set it down because I wanted to go off and do something else, some other form of entertainment? Or do you really crave to have a passion to actually set your mind on things of the Spirit? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Even though you stumble and fall, what is the purest expression of your inward nature? Your hardwiring. The more you seek the Spirit, the more you read the Word of God, those spiritual disciplines of faithfully gathering with the church, investing in other people, understanding truth, that will all shape the way you think. And when we think of it that way, these truths, these two core, patterns of that shape everything about your thinking, this should help us with our high school student. Loved you Is it a desire to seek the Spirit? Verse 6 says that this will lead to life and peace. This is the way your life actually works, the way it was intended to work. The fleshly mentality that's all about what you crave and what builds you up your kingdom, that eventually will lead to failure. It will eventually lead to frustration. The end result is death, separation from God. So confess that. And once you have, set your mind on the Spirit and find life and peace.